Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. Back on January 26, Kathy Beckwith gave a TEDx talk at Linfield College in McMinnville, and she repeated that presentation at UUFM for the benefit of our membership. Unfortunately, our recorder failed, and so what you were about to hear is the audio track of her original TEDx talk. Enjoy. I grew up on a hog farm, not far from here. I had my own pig. She was my 4-H project. But it was more fun to play in the woods with my brothers and sisters than train a pig, so she never got really tame. She did get big. Once when we were trying to move her, it was my job to hold up a piece of plywood so she'd go in the other direction. Instead, she came right over it, right on top of me. I changed to 4-H sewing. (laughs) (laughs) But I still reap the benefits of growing up on that hog farm, learning to swim in an irrigation pond, eating garbage collected for the pigs, Just kidding. (laughs) Well, sort of. What we ate were the trimmings from grocery stores, discarded produce that had begun to fade that my dad picked up as a part of his route around town, gathering scraps to feed the hogs. So yeah, we ate artichokes, bananas, oranges, pomegranates, things too good to feed the hogs that we wouldn't get otherwise. I never wondered if this was normal, but I don't remember ever telling other kids at school about sharing the pig's trimmings. Maybe it wasn't totally normal after all. I have not lost two minutes of sleep over the question of trimmings being normal. It was a little thing of my past, but there is something big now that we treat as normal that at times makes me cry from the cruelty of it, and other times makes me cry out against the injustice and the horrid destruction. I've been learning more about how it comes to be considered normal. Have you heard of the green frog in the lima bean pot? Green frog hops into the pot where the lima beans are soaking overnight in cold water. But in the morning, when the fire is lit in the cook stove under the pot and the water starts to get hot, so does Green Frog, unaware because it's his nature to adapt his body temperature to his surroundings. Sometime before boiling, Green Frog has to be startled into leaping from danger or risk getting cooked. It seems to me that when considering war, a lot of us are quite like Green Frog. 
We've been adapting to our surroundings, to a culture that treats war as normal, and it's getting hot. I propose three things for your consideration. War is not normal. It is time to abandon war, and it can be done. Yet we do things ourselves that normalize war. We let assumptions take hold in our minds. Have you heard these? War is inevitable. It's it's human nature. Things will never change. Inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. War is a choice, a decision that is made about how to respond to conflict. Things will never change. Dueling to the death was seen as an honorable way for gentlemen, including a man who became U.S. president, to settle a rumor. Women vote. Things change. There are other reasons we adapt to the war is normal lima bean pot. Fear sells war, and we are sold fear. Carefully chosen words and PR campaigns market war, rolling thunder, shock and awe, Operation Enduring Freedom. Kids watch the ceremonies and parades from toddler days on. They play with war toys bought for them, and when they're older, with video games designed for them by the military, simulating war. Normalizing war, and then we put war in its own category, and don't challenge it like we would other things. If neighborhood problems were handled with the violence of war, we would name it tragic, criminal, not heroic. If hometown parades included execution equipment. From prisons, past and present, electric chairs, gas chamber replicas, firing squads, lethal injection kits—we would say, "What in the world were they thinking, putting those things in a parade our kids watch?" But execution equipment of war, tanks. If teenagers down the street were heard calling out the chants used in military training, "What makes the grass grow? Blood makes the grass grow. Who makes the blood flow? We do. We do. Blood, 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 and kill, kill." We would call 911 for help. Never would we condone in our communities. The normals of war, but perhaps the most normalizing of all is the tendency we have to say no one wants war. Of course, but sometimes it's necessary to protect human rights and our freedoms, and that without war we would lose our freedom. The problem with that is, rarely do we finish the sentence. Our freedom to do what exactly? 
What freedoms have our wars actually protected? The freedom to take land we wanted, to protect business investments in other countries, to set alternatives aside and opt for war over and over again. Our history is bleak and sad. How many of us grow up believing that the horrendous killing and maiming of the Civil War was necessary to get rid of slavery? We don't learn to ask, why didn't we join the rest of the world in eliminating slavery through legal and moral persuasion? The more we get used to alternatives that were possible, but not taken, or the more we hear of those things, the harder it is to believe in war. But wait, what about Hitler? I have been asked that question so many times and heard Hitler used as justification for U.S. military acts so many times that I have begun to wonder if maybe Hitler won the war after all. Wasn't he the one who believed that power and violence should be combined to reach one's goals? That philosophy seems to have caught on. When we discuss Hitler, let's make sure we ask and answer, because the answers are here. What could have been done before and during his rise to power that would have changed the course of that history? What could have been done so that Hitler's brutality would not be condoned? Never, never should we grant to Hitler or anyone, power over us to keep us from choosing alternatives that are wise, effective, humane, and that honor life and our precious earth. But are there alternatives that really work? That's the good news. Alternatives abound. Education, diplomacy, negotiation, mediation, arbitration, economic justice, crisis response teams, peace commissions, all are effective alternatives to war. A more democratic United Nations could be used to advise wisely instead of us bartering with its members to do our will. Universities around the world have programs in international conflict resolution and specialists ready to facilitate peacemaking, as do religious and secular organizations and the United States Institute of Peace. People find ways. Women from Liberia barricaded men inside a hotel, preventing them from leaving until they got serious about negotiating the end to war. Bulgaria was ordered by Hitler to send the country's Jews to the death camps by rail. The first group of 9,000 Jews were gathered at the railway station in barbed wire fences, awaiting the final orders for loading onto the trains. Members of parliament, students, 
others from all walks of life, joined the clergy there who said, we will lie down on the tracks. These, these people must not be taken away. Those ready to give orders instead told the Jews to pick up their bags and go back home. President Truman and the United States Air Force responded to the Soviet Union's full blockade of West Berlin in 1948, not with a return to war or the threat of war, but with an airlift of supplies dropped into the city for months until the Soviets recognized the futility of their actions. The research of Maria Stefan and Erika Chenoweth, TEDx Boulder, presents us with dramatic truths. Nonviolent civil resistance works. It works better than violence, and it more often leaves in place democratic systems once the resistance is over. There is no excuse for saying war is necessary. So, what can we do personally to help bring about the end of war? We can question, we can ask, in this situation, what alternatives are possible? Question what role U.S. military bases around the world, our weapons sales, our military spending, our rhetoric, what role these things play in perpetuating war? We can ask why the U.S. government insists on spending a trillion dollars to modernize nuclear weapons of unimaginable destruction designed for the mass murder of populations when so many nations are calling for them to be dis dismantled. We can question and then assign ourselves a history lesson learn about war and wars and what they do to real people, including survivors, because so much of war for so many of us happens someplace else. We can learn the stories of alternatives, including nonviolent civil resistance, and teach that history to children and teenagers. We can teach kids how to mediate conflicts for each other at school and take that training home and into their future lives. We can, have, we can hold family meetings so that kids grow up knowing how to facilitate a meeting and brainstorm solutions. We can encourage youth to consider service in the Peace Corps or taking six months somewhere to volunteer around the world because their work will make a difference. Prevention costs a fraction of military action. And as they help others, they will surely grow in compassion and understanding. We can stop feeling powerless and join together with others to share ideas and brainstorm uh, solutions. And if we wish, we can point out how mules cooperate to swat flies. I was walking on our road and glanced into our field where our mules were standing rumped ahead, swishing their tails, 
brushing the flies away from each other's faces. I ran home, grabbed my camera, and when my husband got home, I told him, your mules are amazing. <laughs> yep, they are, he said, but they do that all the time. It's normal. Well, if mules can normalize cooperation, people can too. In January 1929, the U.S. Senate advised ratification, and President Coolidge signed into law the Kellogg-Briand Pact, outlawing the use of war as a means of resolving conflict. Millions and millions of Americans said, we are ready for the end of war. They raised such a voice that those in government had to listen and join the effort and make it the law of the land. Still, the law of the land, a law we can reclaim if we will seek out and use alternatives to war. We're lucky to have two awesome grandkids living just down the road from us. They are exceedingly fun. And we have a brand new grandson, two days old. <laughs> I love him already. <laughs> I want the best for these precious kids. Down deep, I think we know that's what's normal, what we come home to, the longing within each of us to do our best for the children. They don't need to inherit our messes. War is a monstrous mess. It has been normalized, but it is not the way and we don't have to accept it. War can be abandoned. There are alternatives. I extend to each one of you a personal invitation and permission to help make that happen. <laughs>